If there was ever a time to be searching for forgiveness, uh, it's now. In the world that we live in, uh, with all of its difficulties, um, you know, forgiveness is something that I think we could use a lot more of. Um, as we wrestle with division and difficulties, um, forgiveness is something we need. I hate offering uh, five easy steps to anything. Uh, unless I'm, you know, making cereal or uh, making guac, it usually involves more than five easy steps. But, but if you want, people can turn anything into five easy steps. I, I, I googled this, five easy steps, uh, searched for some five easy steps, and here are the, the top five results that showed up in the Google search. Uh, one, how to write an essay in five easy steps. Helpful if you are in the essay, uh, essay writing uh, phase of your life. Uh, two, five easy steps to a balanced math program. No idea why that showed up in my feed. I didn't know math programs could be unbalanced, but if you want five easy steps to a balanced math program, there is an article for you. Uh, number three, five easy steps to retirement planning. So if you want to, you got to plan ahead with retirement, five easy steps for that. Four, washing your hands in five easy steps, an appropriate uh, set of instructions for the world we live in, and probably the one that seems most uh, appropriate to be in five easy steps. And then the last post that I saw on Google was uh, just a template that you could use to lay out your own five easy steps because anything could be done in five easy steps. Now today, I want to share with you five easy steps to forgiveness, except they aren't easy or simple, not always clear-cut. Really, if we're honest, they're going to be five not so easy, completely nuanced, and very contextual steps to forgiveness, asterisk, best when used alongside the advice of a good friend, mentor, pastor, or counselor. Sound good? Uh, you ready? Now, these five steps, they come from Andrew Sun Park's uh, book, From Hurt to Healing. Uh, this is a list, uh, represents my own synthesis of a number of different lists included in his book. Uh, he pulls from a number of places that include uh, a book called Forgiving the Unforgivable, um, uh, the, uh, research that came from Stanford Forgiveness Project, and even a few Christian scholars. So Andrew Sung Park uh, is a professor at United Seminary, and I had the chance to take a couple classes with him when I was there, and he's this amazing guy who really gets this stuff around uh, hurt and healing and, and suffering. In fact, his book, The Wounded Heart of God, is fantastic, uh, essential theology if you want to understand uh, God's response to suffering in the world. It's called The Wounded Heart of God. I, I recommend it to you, and I have a copy if you want to borrow it. Uh, so with that, here are some sort of the five not-so-easy, completely nuanced, very uh, contextual steps to forgiveness. One, Name the injury. Two, identify the offender. Three, address the offender. Four, imagine balancing the scales. And five, choose forgiveness. So let's dig into those. Let's start with uh, number one here. Name the injury. When you're in a place where you need to forgive someone, the first step to forgiving them uh, is, is stopping long enough to really come to terms with the reason for that forgiveness. The, the first step, I know it sounds obvious, but we need to start here. The first step is to take a second and really think through how you've been wronged. In other words, what do you need to forgive? 
It's easy to be upset and hurt and confused, but forgiveness is a product of of being intentional. You, You have to think about the pain, and you have to say, okay, here is where I've been wronged, and this is what was done. You might make a list if, if you need to. Uh, you might journal it. You, you might discuss it with a counselor or, or myself, a, a pastor, or maybe your small group leader or, or a close friend. But this, uh, just naming it is going to help you move towards healing, and healing is going to make forgiveness uh, much more likely. In a lot of ways, the first step is to uh, feel the pain. It's a time for sorrow and grief. And depending on the nature of the offense, whether it's something very serious or something maybe not so serious, uh, some people are going to need to spend some time in this stage, sitting with the pain. While others, it might be a short time. It might just be a moment. Uh, you, but you can't force someone to go on your timeline with any of this. You can't rush someone's grief. We live in a world uh, where we want everyone to be happy. And we kind of sometimes pressure people into being happy, so much so that they're, they become nervous to share their grief. I just heard a story today of somebody who, who has to pretend everything is okay because when it's not, it stresses out the people around them. That's not how we should live. We should put expectations for people to, to be happy. People are allowed to grieve, and people are allowed to feel pain. The Bible, the guidebook for our life, spends an immense amount of time grieving and what they call lamenting. And so, are hurt, when we're hurt, we are allowed to do the same. So during this time, you're going to have to come to terms with what has happened to you. I fear that so many times we can't forgive because we're unwilling to move forward. You know, we're so busy holding on to what was. Have you ever done that? You hold on to what was. You're wishing things should just go back to the way they were, and you're mad at someone because they messed all that up. And this anger has to be converted into lament, to grieve, a time where we feel that pain and we acknowledge that there are some things that we've lost because we've been hurt. Depending on the severity of that incident, whatever it is that you're in need of forgiving, you might have lost quite a bit. Now, that doesn't mean you can't move forward. Forgiveness is rooted in a belief that the future is worth walking towards and that the past doesn't have to control the future. That no matter what has happened or what anyone does about it, whether people repent or change, that you, no matter what's been done to you, you can still have a bright future. And we get there by first taking time to, to rest, uh, to lay to rest the pain. And we need to take as much time as we need to feel that pain and to grieve it and to, then we can move forward. That's step one. Identify your injury. Uh, grieve, understand, unpack, and come to terms with the injury. Then comes the next step. Step two. Identify the offender. So after you've thought about the pain that you've experienced, take time to consider the person who did it, the offender. Who do you need to forgive? So the first is what do you need to forgive? The second is who do you need to forgive? And, and while this, you think this question might be is obvious because when you're hurt, you couldn't be more sure about who's to blame, and we are so quick to blame, the reality is it's more complicated than that. Doing the work of, of identifying the offender is more intentional than the rushed, rash, pointed of fingers that we do when we're blaming people. We're not talking about blame here. Here's what I mean. We have to start uh, at the beginning. No assumptions. And to be, fair, uh, to be fair, some of these questions may not be helpful depending on where, what you're dealing with because these are the five easy steps to forgiveness. They're five not-so-easy, completely nuanced, very contextual steps of forgiveness. So first, you need to ask yourself 
a simple but obvious question. When you're talking about identifying the offender, did anyone do anything wrong here? First question is, did anyone do anything wrong here? You might have an offense already in mind as you've listened to this sermon on forgiveness. You're thinking about a, something that you haven't forgiven yet, and, and you're thinking, yes, someone did something wrong here. And Okay, that's fine. I get it. Uh, we will deal with that. But, but others need to re- ask the question, is this something uh, where somebody did something wrong? Because here's the truth. Not everything that hurts us is a result of someone doing something wrong. You can be hurt by accident or because of, of, of misunderstanding. So many hurts have been caused by misunderstandings. And it's because of that that in a lot of cases, seeking understanding is as important as seeking forgiveness. So the first question is, did anyone do something wrong here? And the second question, assuming someone did do something wrong, we can ask is, is, is that an offense that requires forgiveness? There are many offenses, mostly small ones that are mixed with misunderstandings, that we just need to let go and move on. Proverbs uh, 19.11 says this, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is um, uh, his glory to overlook an offense. See, the benefit of being slow to anger, which the Bible says in a couple different places, here in Proverbs, later in James, The benefit of being slow to anger is you have the time to really feel the pain of the injury and to consider the the actions of the offender. And and, and this is easily one of the most important parts of the process. As you know, uh, Alyssa and I have had our troubles, and uh, we've been seeing a marriage counselor. We've shared that before, and it's been good. Um, And if your relationship is experiencing tension, maybe you're in a relationship that needs forgiveness, uh, let us know. We would love to recommend some great counselors for you and your significant other. Um, Our church will even pay for the first couple of sessions. So this is like a a no-risk, great way to really kind of improve your marriage. Well, one of the things that the counselor we've been seeing has said a couple times is that uh, arguments go too fast, don't they? It just, and they escalate very quickly. Maybe that's just me and Alyssa. One of the best ways that we can deal with conflict, especially when we're feeling hurt, is to just slow everything down. Because then we can kind of see clearly. So slow to anger. And when we do that, we'll be able to find, you know, we'll be able to find it possible sometimes to even overlook an offense before it becomes an injury. The proverb says that it's a glory to look over an offense. In other words, it's a good thing to let some things slide. 1 Peter 4.8 says it like this. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. When we choose to love, it's okay to let love cover over the rough edges of people. So first we ask, did anyone do anything wrong here? And second, is forgiveness re- required? Now, if you're, if you're feeling some hesitation with that question, if you're thinking about something where you maybe need some room, where you need to forgive somebody, and you're like, ooh, I don't think, I'm not comfortable with that idea. Uh, I'm, I, I, I'm thinking about this particular thing, and that, that makes me really, here's the idea. I'm guessing then, if there's hesitation or tension when I say that some things just need to be let go, um, that forgiveness is required. That if you're uncomfortable with that, then this is something that needs to be addressed. And if so, we keep moving. So step three, address the offender. We got to let him know. Matthew 18, 15 says it like this. If your brother uh, sins, go point it out their fault just between the two of you. 
If they listen to you, you have won them over. Now, Matthew 18 goes on to explain how this works in real life, and you can read that on your own. But we talked last week about how sin means to miss the mark or to stray from the path. So if you feel that someone has missed the mark or has strayed from the path, and it's especially if they've done it in a way that's wounded you, and it's a big enough deal that you can't overlook it or let love make up the difference, then you need to talk to them about it. If we want people to have the opportunity to change and to seek forgiveness, we need to let them know that it, is, that, that it has wounded us. Now, this isn't always possible. Sometimes the person we need to forgive is no longer with us or isn't easily accessible. Or maybe in cases of abuse, it's unwise or even dangerous to let them know. Or it's possible that you're not ready, that maybe you need to spend some more time with it. You need to, to wrestle with it longer. But when possible, and as soon as it's possible, if it is, we need to let people know. We need to tell them. And how they respond will determine uh, what forgiveness looks like moving forward. Andrew Sung Park, uh, my professor, talks about how there are two kinds of forgiveness, internal and external. He explains it like this. He says, internal forgiveness is to forgive our offenders or enemies before they ask for it. External forgiveness is to pronounce the offender forgiven when he or she has sought it. I think this is a a wise solution to an old problem. In short, we forgive people as soon as possible. Um, It's the right thing to do. It's, It's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But it's okay that we don't announce that forgiveness until somebody asks for it, assuming that we've told them how we feel about it. You can't expect people to ask for forgiveness if they didn't even know that they've caused hurt. So if someone refuses to repent, or refuses to admit they did something wrong, or, or refuses to ask for forgiveness, uh, Professor Park and others would suggest that you're under no obligation to announce your forgiveness to them. You, you still can, though. And, and I think depending on the circumstances and where you're at in life, it could be very powerful. Jesus did this. He's hanging on a cross, and the soldiers that hung him there are there, and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So he's forgiving people that haven't repented or are going to do anything different or change, and he's announcing it to them. They can hear this. So uh, it's good and it's right, but it's not necessarily required. When trying to forgive someone, it's important, I think, to have a goal in mind. Forgiving someone doesn't always mean being reconciled with them. Uh, You forgive someone without ever talking to them again. You can forgive someone and not continue a relationship with them. Uh, But you can also forgive and find yourself in a relationship that's more beautiful and deep than you ever thought possible because of forgiveness. Every situation is different. So after naming the injury, identifying the offender, addressing the offender, the next step is to imagine balancing the scales. Step four, imagine balancing the scales. This step is all about imagining what would need to happen for things to be made equal or fair. What would it take for things to be made fair? What, what would be, uh, dare I say, appropriate punishment for your offender? Um, what would you love to see happen to make things equal? How, how could the scales of justice be leveled? That's the idea of the scales. Is, is something happens over here, and so something needs to happen over here to make it uh, 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 equal again. So, for example, maybe someone stole uh, $10 from you. To make things fair, someone should steal $10 from them. 
It's this idea that the Old Testament principle, an eye for an eye, which at the time was very generous. It, it was a command to make things equal, that the punishment truly fit the crime, where, where up to this point, the punishment often exceeded the crime. So, so the, this question is, what punishment fits the crime done against you? Now, now, you might be thinking, and rightly so, what in the world are you talking about, Joe? We don't live in the Old Testament. Uh, we are people of Jesus, and Jesus changed those types of rules. And I would say, yes. And we're getting there. Now, here's the thing. Depending on your intent, this uh, step can be uh, helpful or hurtful. If your goal is to be angry, this will make it worse. If your goal, though, is to forgive, it can be helpful to get those thoughts out of your system. The imagining isn't meant to create something that you hold on to or to act on, but rather you're getting it out so you can then let it go. And the letting go is what we call forgiveness. So honestly, if you don't want to do this, great. That probably means you're already ready to forgive. But if you're thinking about this stuff already, you got to be intentional with it. Name it. Lift it up out of you so you then can, in the next step, let it go. Because to forgive is to think of what it would take to make things fair and let those things go. It's as if you were to write down on all, of the, all of the fair, equitable punishment or correction needed to, to make things equal between you and your offender. You write it down on a piece of paper. Forgiveness then is taking that paper and throwing it away. That doesn't mean you don't enforce boundaries. It, it, what it means is, is you don't insist on punishment. Ultimately, you wish them well. And that's what I think is lovely about this idea. We think, here's what it would take for things to be equal. To forgive is say, I don't want that for you. I want good things for you. Not because you deserve it, but because I forgive you. Step five, choose forgiveness, which is the final step. Choose forgiveness. Forgiveness releases your offender from their debt. Forgiveness is saying, I don't need those things to happen in order for things to be made right between us. I want good things for you. Now, this isn't trying to say that people shouldn't repent or commit to change or try to make amends. All of those are good things and necessary for reconciliation. Today, what we're talking about, though, is what it means for us to forgive other people. In a few weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to ask for forgiveness and to seek reconciliation. And when we get there, the responsibilities change. But for now, on this side of the fence, we're talking about what it means to offer forgiveness. And forgiveness is when we look at someone knowing all they deserve— and we say, I forgive you. One of Jesus' most popular stories, the prodigal son, is a fantastic example of forgiveness. You might be familiar with it. It's about a young man who uh, shared his home with his father and his brother and probably their servants. And when he gets old enough, he asks his father for his share of the inheritance. When he gets it, he leaves home. He squanders all of his father's wealth on things like uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. There wasn't rock and roll at this time, but you get the idea. He finds himself then reaching rock bottom, working at a pig farm which is a rather terrible job, especially taboo for the Jewish audience that Jesus is talking to. So the son decides it's better for him to be a slave in his father's house than to live like this. Hits rock bottom, so he goes home. And when he arrives at home, he receives two receptions, two kinds of reception. First, when he's still far away, when he's still a ways away, his father sees him coming, and he runs to his son 
and he embraces him. No matter what he's done, the father's just glad he's home. The father's just so happy, he throws a party for his son. Now, this is extreme forgiveness. This isn't what the son deserved, but his father's love covered up all of his multitude of sins and celebrates that he's returned home. It's this beautiful story of forgiveness, it's the, and this is the first reception of the, that the son gets. But the other reception comes from the son's brother, the other son. Now, before we go on, let's acknowledge something. That this prodigal son messed up. What he did was wrong. How he treated his father and his father's inheritance and his father's name, all wrong. He hurt his family. He hurt his brother in the process. That's clear. And other than coming home, there really is no formal repentance. No formal, here's what I did wrong. I won't do it again. Please forgive me. That, you know, there's, no, that, there's no announcement like that in the story. And, and I think that's at the root of the brother's response. The brother, unlike the dad, is not happy. The brother isn't going to the party. He's angry. Now, the father notices him missing from the party and goes find it, finds him. And the brother uh, finds the brother and begs him to come back to the party. And the brother says this to his father. He says, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Luke 15, 29 to 30. Here, here's what I love about this story. Jesus doesn't just share the dad's perspective. You know, the dad jumps to forgiveness. He makes forgiveness look easy. He's just glad to see his son alive. And Jesus tells us that this story is about who God is. God is like the Father. God is so ready to forgive, uh, to accept, to bring you back, to love us. And God has, is just glad we came home. All you have to do is just turn your feet towards home. And you don't even have to arrive home. You just have to be within sight of home. And God's like running towards you, trying to embrace you. That's how amazing God's grace is. That's why we sing about it. It's beautiful. But thankfully, Jesus didn't just show us the Father's perspective. We get the brother's perspective too, which, if we're honest, looks a lot more like how we experience forgiveness. And he, this brother would really do well, like us, to walk through these not so simple contextual steps of forgiveness. So, first, identify the injury. We can identify a number of things the brother is struggling with. He says things like, I've been slaving. What a word choice. He wasn't a slave or servant. He was, a, he was a, an heir. But he says, I've been slaving. You never gave. He even says, this son of yours. Not this brother of mine. This son of yours. As if he has no ties to him. If you think about it, the brother probably felt abandoned by his, uh, by his brother. He, he was forced to watch his dad suffer the loss of a child and the loss of his wealth. He was forced to probably work two people's jobs because his brother went off to have fun. But ultimately, we see here that he's hurt because he feels underappreciated by his father, right? Working hard and never being celebrated. There are a number of hurts here, and when we come to terms with what he should forgive, um, we can consider then who he should forgive. And it actually will take a second to identify the offender in this case. I mean, on the one hand, he's mad at his brother. I mean, he's the cause of all of this. But on the other hand, He's actually talking to his dad and seems really upset with his dad. And he needs to ask here, did someone do something wrong? His brother did. 
You know, when we ask the question, did someone do something wrong here? His brother certainly did. I mean, no one's arguing that. Did his dad do something wrong here? Did his dad actually neglect to celebrate him? Or is this some sort of misunderstanding? Or is this just a product of him being mad in the moment? We can't say. It's a fictional story that Jesus shares. We can't dig too deep. But if he asked the question, if this was a real person, he could ask the question, who's done something wrong here? And then he can ask, is this something that he can let go of? And, and I'm not sure, but if I was a guessing man and I was, wanted to put some money on this, I would say probably not. This is probably something he's going to have to deal with. He's not going to just be able to let it go. He seems real upset about it. So this isn't just uh, one or the other. It involves both his dad and his brother, and, and they're both causes of this pain that his brother needs to deal with, which takes us to step two. He needs to address the offender. And he is, in a way, at least in part. He's being honest with his dad. He's being very candid about his hurt. He's far more candid than, than I am when I'm in the moment, uh, and he's very articulate about what's bothering him. But on the other hand, we don't know if he talks to his brother or not. I would say that he would surely need to talk to his brother if he wants to be reconciled with him. But at least he's being honest with his dad, which takes us to the next step, which he also does. He can certainly imagine balancing the scales. It doesn't take too many leaps of our imagination to, to figure out how the brother would balance the scales. It's very simple. The son who ran off should be punished, or at least held responsible. And the son who stayed should be celebrated. That's only fair, right? That's, I mean, that's totally 100% reasonable. That's how the scales would be balanced. Of course, the father doesn't do this. He celebrates the return of his prodigal son, which in itself teaches us an essential truth regarding forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't fair. It's loving, and it comes from grace, and grace by definition is something that you don't deserve and you can't earn. And this grace is captured by the father perfectly in his response to the brother. It's verse 31. It says, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we need to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, you see how he changed that? I actually just noticed this this reading. He says, that son of yours, and the father says, that brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The father says, you have everything already. You could have thrown a party anytime you wanted, which is just a painful misunderstanding between them, it seems, and one that they're probably going to have to work through at some point. But he says, your brother was dead, and now he's alive. Now, we aren't told what happens next in this parable, in this fictional story that Jesus wove together. We aren't told how the, father, the brother responds. Does he get over it? Does he move on? Does he join the party and, and eat some of that fattened uh, calf? That we aren't told. And I think that might be on purpose. Jesus leaves it open so that we can imagine for ourselves what we might do. We've all been hurt. We've all been angry and frustrated and shouted at a world that isn't fair. And Jesus wants us to answer the question, how will you respond? Would you forgive the brother? Could you ever forgive the brother? In fact, there's a brother or sister or friend or relative right now that feels an awful lot like this story. I'm sure there's someone listening here who feels an awful lot like this story. And you have to ask, will you, could you forgive? Would you forgive? Would you go and join the party? Would you confront that brother, that prodigal son, and express your frustration, have a conversation? In other words, if you were the brother in this story, how would you respond? That's the question I think Jesus leaves us in this parable. 
And it's the question I'm going to leave you as well. Now, depending on the hurt, forgiveness might feel impossible, and maybe even these steps don't make it any easier. Even with small hurts, forgiveness might feel out of reach. I, I want to encourage you, don't worry. The series isn't over yet. We haven't covered everything. There are some really great principles that, that Scripture teaches us that, that can help us become more forgiving, even when it's hard. And we're going to look at those next week. So be sure to come back next week. We're going to dig into some really great biblical principles that can help soften our heart and help us be, become more forgiving. This is extremely useful, whether you have somebody, something big you need to forgive. It'll help you in that. But also just in life, we have to be willing to give each other grace, whether it's a formal forgiveness to something that's wronged you or a willingness to extend grace to something that you can just overlook. Um, becoming more forgiving will serve you in so many ways. So come and join us next week as we explore how we can uh, bring our hearts to what uh, we've learned in our minds today. So let's pray. God, we come before you and we give you thanks, first and foremost, that you show us what it means to offer grace. Lord, it is sometimes hard to do that uh, the way that you do. It is hard to be the Father. There are certainly people in my life that I, uh, I think of my own son who I would just welcome with open arms, and there are others where I don't have as much grace for it. But Lord, we know that all of us are your children who were created in your image and you love us and you're so eager to welcome us back. In fact, you even say that when, that when somebody comes and is embraced by you, that the angels throw a party as, as if this parable is true every time we come back to you. You're just so excited. Help us to celebrate Help us to learn to do that ourselves with all of our weaknesses and with all of our struggles. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.